Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning into our podcast. Today, we will be talking with Hartley Jaffeen to learn about how the art of improv and theater can foster collaboration and communication skills, and how these lessons can positively affect individual and team-based healthcare competencies. So keep listening to learn more. My name is Hartley Jaffeen. I'm a facilitator here at McMaster University in the Bachelor of Health Sciences program and Arts and Science program. The other hats that I wear here at Mac is I work within the undergraduate medical school. Outside of McMaster, I work at the University of Toronto in the postgraduate medical education program where I work as a communications coach with residents and at Baycrest Health Sciences where I use applied theater with interprofessional healthcare teams. Most recently, I've launched a medical improv curriculum for U of T, where we have looked at how improv skills can be used to enhance the CanMeds framework, which is the guiding framework for all medical students and residents here in Canada. So I guess to all the amazing roles you have, um, would you be able to elaborate on the work you do specifically um, at U of T and Baycrest? Absolutely. So the work that I do at Baycrest is working with interprofessional healthcare teams who are working specifically in long-term care. So essentially, it's bringing teams that work together clinically off of the wards to play together through applied theater, which is an overarching term that looks at how theater and improv practices can be applied to non-traditional theater spaces with participants who may or may not have any experience with performance or acting. And the aim of the work isn't necessarily to make them actors or performers, but to share a theatre experience and then reflect back on how that experience can link to their professional roles. So within the long-term care home scenarios, we look at how applied theatre and improv can be used to enhance communication, collaboration, empathy and perspective taking, and power and status on teams. And so in traditional education, oftentimes we learn information and then practice it and try it out. The way applied theater and applied improv works is instead, first of all, we have an experience and participate in an exercise or in an experience and then reflect back. And it's in that reflecting on the experience that the learning can can materialize. In a lot of ways, as a facilitator, I will never draw conclusions for the group. The goal of the work is to have the experience and to ask the group, how was that? And how might these experiences, these conversations link back to their professional roles and their professional settings? So within Baycrest, the goal is to enhance that interprofessional collaboration. At the University of Toronto, I work primarily um, with the residency program one-on-one, doing coaching with residents who are in need of remedial support uh, regarding communication or have specific communication needs that need some some building. Uh, And the medical improv curriculum is offered to specifically right now the family medicine residency program at the University of Toronto at Sunnybrook Hospital, where we are using improv as a way to enhance the CanMeds role specifically. So in terms of like the skills that you've talked about just developing with the residents and even the medical students, would you say there are some really important skills that you you want to see being developed by healthcare professionals, whether that's during medical school or during residency or even before they even enter medical school, like in the undergrad sort of field? Absolutely. For me, where I come at this work is theater skills are life skills and everything that a good performer needs to know to be a good and collaborative improviser or actor with others on a stage are skills that you can apply to any profession, healthcare or otherwise. So for me, that was one of the big takeaways from my undergraduate experience. I was trained as an actor and 
you're going home over the December break and all of our profs said to us, when you go home, you're going to get questions from your parents saying, theater, what are you going to do with that? And they equipped us with this mantra, this idea that theater skills are life skills and that those skills are broadly applicable to any careers that we wanted to follow. And in terms of medicine and healthcare, I think looking at theater skills as life skills that those healthcare providers can apply in those clinical settings are really valuable and really important. For me, if you think about it, we are improvising every single day of our lives. There's very rarely that you have a conversation with someone where you know exactly what they're going to say and you know exactly how you're going to respond. Everything from small degrees to larger degrees are a form of improv. We do it daily. And so it's thinking about how can that be applied in healthcare and, and allowing healthcare professionals to think about, huh, how am I performing? How am I improvising with another person, whether it be a colleague, whether it be a patient, whether it be a boss, whether it be a, another specialist? So thinking about being more mindful of applying a performance studies paradigm to their role as, as healthcare professionals. And then thinking about specific skills, I think that theater and improv can enhance all of the candidates' competencies, specifically around communication, collaboration, medical expert, scholar, professional, leader. All of those skills are aligned with what theater can do. For me, I think part of it is the guiding principles of improv and theater are valuable for any healthcare professional role. And the guiding rules of improv and theater are, number one, you don't have to be funny, clever, or witty. So rule number one removes any competition, which I think is extremely valuable yeah. when working in healthcare. Yeah. Rule number two is take care and support each other, which is pretty self-explanatory. And the reason, the way you do rule number two, take care and support each other, is by rule number three, which is saying yes and, which is not necessarily acknowledging that you agree with what's being said, but it's a non-judgmental, curious approach to something that gets tossed out. You have an idea, instead of me just saying, no, that's ridiculous, even if I disagree, coming at it from a place of, yes, and tell me more about that, is more productive in a conversation and in a collaboration. And talking about the sessions that you just brought up about developing those kind of my skills, what might these sessions look like? So if you had to give like just a quick rundown or even like a brief example, like what might the sessions look like? So a session will look pretty much similarly, similarly across the board. A session will be a group of healthcare professionals participating in a theater and, or, or improv experience. Uh, so for example, we might be walking around in a circle and having to stop simultaneously without anyone leading or following the group. It's just we walk together as a group and we stop. And then we walk together and stop. And the goal is to get us all walking and stopping together simultaneously. And afterwards, we'll have a conversation. I'll facilitate a conversation with how was that? And how might these conversations, this experience, link back to your professional roles? And so for some, it might be linking about how when they're walking around the space, they have to be more mindful of each other because they can't be the only one walking when other people are walking. They talk about making eye contact, being aware of each other's presence, responding. When someone initiates the stop, the room responds and supports that person for stopping. So those are some of the ways that they can experience that improv or that theater experience and then link it back to their own professional roles. And then another way it can be done is through the power of theater. One of the core aspects that I was learning as I was training as an actor and one of the, the core fundamental approaches to building a character is understanding what is your character fighting for? What does your character want in any scene? And essentially, characters are like humans, are humans. They are, everyone is fighting for something. And so by understanding what a character is fighting for, you develop an empathy for that perspective. 
And so applying that to a healthcare lens, for example, a lot of the time someone might be dismissed as this patient is really obnoxious or this loved one is really annoying. Theater encourages you to think about, okay, this patient is obnoxious. How, can, how might you reframe that to what is this patient fighting for? And that might give you insight into, huh, are they being obnoxious or are they just anxious? And this loved one is being annoying. Are they being annoying or do they have all the information? And if, but if you look at kind of what a character is fighting for, you might gain insight into how they're viewing the world and that empathy might help you connect and, and build a relationship in a much more deeper and stronger way. So I guess just on that note, these sessions that you have, do you just have one with one group or are they continuous where you have like multiple sessions over a period of time? It depends on the group. Sometimes it is a one-off experience, which is not, not necessarily the ideal, right. you know, sustained engagement is really valuable. Sometimes it is a, a two session, three session, four session. The longest that I've done is five sessions as a group. Obviously here at McMaster within the undergraduate health science program, I'm able to do a 12 week course, which is extremely valuable because you have that sustained contact. Uh, sometimes the sessions are week to week. The work that I did with the medical improv curriculum at Sunnybrook, we run it twice. The first time we ran the medical improv curriculum, we did it as a bi-weekly session. So over, it was three sessions over six weeks. And then this most recent iteration of it, we did one in November, one in January, one in April. So we were able to space out the sessions as a way to allow for us to have the improv experience, have the residents apply some of those, those learnings and some of those reflective moments in the improv to their clinical work. And then we meet again, do more work, and then that cycle continues. This brings me to my next question, because these sessions are um, over a period of time and you get to see your students grow. Um, what's one of your favorite moments or your favorite, I guess, as an observer of your students, what's been your favorite experience so far? So some of it is seeing the growth in confidence is really valuable to see how some people enter the space really unsure about what theater and improv can offer them or terrified to do improv and theater. And I always frame it as this work is applied theater, applied improv. You're not being required to be a, an actor or performer. That's not the goal of this work. The goal isn't acting. And so watching that type of growth where they are comfortable performing in front of others or comfortable presenting in front of others, that can be a, a lot of, um, that can add a lot of value. I think as well, just seeing the skill set improve, seeing how they are being able to communicate their ideas more effectively or collaborate with others more effectively. And then I think the other piece is for me that I really enjoy is seeing the aha moments going, oh, I didn't see theater and improv linking to medicine or linking to healthcare, but I actually really see how this, this aligns with the work that I'm doing or in between sessions, them coming back and saying the thing, that thing, that experience, that exercise that we did in that last session, I actually got to use that. I actually got to apply that. And that is really neat to see because I think sometimes people have an experience and they always wonder, well, how does this connect to clinical practice? Mm -hmm. And so I think the valuable moments are when people see, huh, I, I was more aware of how my healthcare provider or patient encounter was a form of improv and actually responded and didn't, didn't put my checklist above the conversation and that actually really helped facilitate a, an engaging and productive dialogue. 
And then also we know that at McMaster, there is a theater for development class. Um, I guess what are some of the similarities? Perhaps there's not so much a focus on interacting with patients or building. You're still trying to build communication skills, obviously, but I guess like if you want to elaborate on that class that we have at Mac and just inform perhaps like any McMaster students that are interested in taking such a course more about it. Yeah, so the Theatre for Development course is the 12-week course that, that I was just speaking to, and it's offered as a Theatre for Development course within HealthSci and ArtSci. There's a similar course called Theatre Self and Social Development, and essentially, exactly, because the goal isn't patient care, it's more about looking at the skills broadly. So thinking about how one communicates, how might one enhance that communication, how might they think about how they collaborate, how they are physically present in a space, how do they actively listen, and also making them aware of some of the biases and assumptions that we carry. When you're playing a character, what assumptions do you make about that character? Or if you are playing a role, what are you? What are the expectations? You know, just to give an example, um, I might ask a group of, of students in a class to sit like a banker. And what a, when you think of a banker, what do you think about? How do they sit? How do they carry themselves in a space? And then we have a conversation to unpack what do they all look like? And for the most part, a lot of the bankers look similar. And that is rooted in something. And, you know, if you say the word scientist, or you say the word police officer, or if you say the word Trump supporter, all of these words carry assumptions that maybe are unfair. And so it's to make people, make anyone who's engaging with this work, uh, it's kind of to raise that awareness, raise a critical consciousness of how do I see the world and what are the assumptions that I make about the world? And so that's also some of the work that we do there. So it's it's still looking at the same skill sets. And when I, I pitched the course to the BHSA program back in 2007, that was how I framed it, was that theater skills are life skills. And particularly with, within BHSC, I framed it as that theater skills highlight and touch on the seven Ps that are kind of foundational to the inquiry program here at MAC uh, in, the, in the BHSC program. And so thinking about how theater and, and theater for development is used to enhance those those core foundational skills that Beatrice C um, is rooted in. And talking about just biases in general, you talked about how everyone has this like preconceived notion of what a banker is. People might have a preconceived notion of what a scientist is or like a doctor. And this is just from like a personal experience or like just encounters with other students around campus. But whenever I'm speaking with other students who are in these science-based faculties, there seems to be a lot of sort of drive towards wanting to learn just strict science-based courses even though their entire goal is rooted towards getting to like into medical school or any form of health professional school like dentistry and optometry etc do you think being a professor at uh, mcmaster have you noticed these sort of stigmas being generated people might call them what's called like soft skills um, a term that gets used a lot in terms of describing like communication, leadership, problem solving, a lot of the six P's that you brought up or even the CanMed roles, they get sort of pushed aside and sort of put on the back burner and people say they'll worry about it later, if, if, if even if at all. Do you think undergrad programs can sort of make a change towards sort of removing the stigma from, I guess, the students' minds around campus? Absolutely. I think part of it is thinking about medicine Medical school and, and residency training has shifted away now from a knowledge-based model to a competency-based model. So already we're starting to see a shift towards recognizing that the, that the interpersonal skills are more valued. I think we think often that science and the arts are two completely separate entities. And I think they're a lot more closely aligned than we think. If, if 
if we think about science and the arts as one experience, I think that there can be a lot of value to that. I think that there is, there can be, in some respects, a misperception that, that knowledge is above all else. Mm-hmm. Although I find it really interesting that within the CanMeds framework, medical expert is one of yes. the roles within CanMeds, and one of the sub-competencies of the medical expert is comfort with ambiguity and uncertainty, which the arts is really valuable mm-hmm. at, at building and enhancing. And so I think that there's another example of how even within the, the most knowledge-based of the competencies, there still is a, an alignment with, with the world of the arts. I think science can offer the arts yeah. a lot of value as well. That's something that isn't talked about as much. There's a lot of talk around what can the arts um, and how can the arts collaborate with the sciences. And there is less conversation on how science can enhance and collaborate with the arts. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that as well. So we talked about sort of applied theater with sort of the medical students and even the undergrads. Um, sort of coming up with the coaching aspect of your work, what does that sort of entail? So when you say you coach a lot of the residents and you coach a lot of the healthcare professionals, how does that differ from, let's say, even your applied theater class? Or are there similarities that sort of um, carry over between the two? So the coaching is, unlike the applied theater and improv sessions, the coaching is one-on-one. So it's a it's much more intimate in that I'm working with a single resident based on the needs of that resident. So in, a, in an applied theater or improv session, I'll be exploring a variety of different concepts. We'll be participating in exercises aimed to enhance any number of skills depending on the needs of the group or the aims of the workshop. And a lot of that work is we do an experience, I'll ask how that was, and ask the group to reflect back on how it might link to communication, how it might link to values of a culture, how that might link to assumptions and biases. Within the coaching work that I do, a lot of the time I get information as to who the residents are, um, what their specific needs are, and then in those sessions can tailor um, some theater work, working with them to do some role play, get them get them to do some reflection, engage in reflection on how they might enhance their skill set. So in, in a lot of ways, the differences are that it's very specific to an individual learner's need versus a large group conversation. And I also find it interesting in terms of coaching that I work with residents and there could be a lot of value in coaching post-residency. The term coaching is in terms of thinking about stigmas and biases and assumptions. Coaching, there's a, there's a lot of literature that's coming out of it that highlights the value of coaching and career coaching. And that we culturally would be really supported by having a coaching culture, particularly in medicine and healthcare, where you could be coached by others. However, that there's a real resistance to coaching because that there is an assumption that if you need a coach, you need a coach. And within medicine, there's a real... There's a real disconnect between this idea around being a lifelong learner and being an expert. And I think the last point you just made there actually ties really well with sort of the description that you had earlier in the interview about the CADMED roles um, pertaining to like medical expertise and one of the sort of underlying bullet points being being okay with the ambiguity and this, like, the content that you might not know and whether or not you choose to let that affect you in a certain way and whether or not that you use that as a motivation to just to learn more about the unknown topics. And I feel like that's sort of a good bridge between the arts and the sciences also. 
it doesn't have to just be for medical students. Uh, as you said, it can be for residents or people like postgraduate. There's a lot to learn in just even with coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Part of it is the culture. The culture mm-hmm. of healthcare is very, very supportive. That's a model we need to move towards. A support, again, thinking about the rules of improv, a supportive, take care and support each other environment. A lot of the time it is it is competitive or it can be very competitive. That support, particularly around learning, Training in medicine, not always, but sometimes there's a lot of shaming that can happen in the educational system where you are challenged uh, about what you know and and pushed. And that's okay. Challenging and being pushed are really positive things as long as you're being challenged and pushed within a supportive space where you know that I can be challenged and pushed. And I think in a lot of ways, sometimes the culture of medicine doesn't allow for that. I work with a colleague, his name is Jeremy, and he talks about how... um, What if we reframe mistakes as learning? And instead of of saying, I made a mistake, say, hey, I did this thing and I learned today. And how that might reframe the conversation. And that's not to say that, and I always am very careful to say that there's a difference between making a, a careless mistake and making a mistake because it's the first time you've done something. And that there can be a lot of value in creating a supportive culture, a supportive system where someone can make a mistake because they are a learner, because they are a medical student or a resident, and then still use that as an opportunity to grow. Um, and that's true for at any point in your career. And I think that if, if you are someone who is a practicing healthcare professional for 20 years and you try something out for the first time, it might not go well. And that's okay. And I think that that requires vulnerability and vulnerability operates well when there's a supportive space to to, to catch that person if they, if they are unsuccessful. For sure. And then also that kind of makes me think about how, like, obviously these skills are so important and, like, the role of theater can be so instrumental in shaping the skills that medical students, undergraduate students, and residents need. Do you have any ideas or thoughts on things that students can do along with theater or, like, other than theater as well, just in their, like, day-to-day lives that kind of also build on these skills in the same way? Um, One thing that comes to mind for me is the art of reflection, but then I wanted to hear what your take was on Absolutely. I think the art of reflection is really valuable to think about how, how an interaction went, to reflect on your skills, how did I communicate that, how did I... How did I engage with that other person? Was I listening? What biases and assumptions do I bring into a conversation? I think that reflection piece is really valuable. The other thing that I think about are two things, thinking about culture and the way the system operates. Two things that can be really valuable. One, and they're kind of interrelated, the the supporting each other. Supporting each other, even if your idea doesn't get chosen. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have an idea and I have an idea and my idea doesn't get put forward, say, you know what, I'm going to support you with as much enthusiasm as I would have if my idea had gone forward. It's still like a team thing. It's still like a team thing. And I'm stealing this from Stephen Colbert, who talks about this in his valedictory address uh, to, I think it was Northwestern. He talks about that the value of improv is, for him, is that when you're doing an improv scene, your goal is to make the other person look good. And simultaneously, their job is to make you look good. And I think about how education could look if every student said, hey, I'm going to look, I'm going to make this other student in my class look good. And we all had that agreement that we're all going to make each other look amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what that could do. And then again, thinking about how that could be applied to healthcare, where we're in an environment where everybody is trying to make each other look good and excel. That system 
might be much more healthy and healthful than a system that is competitive and destructive. And that's actually like a great concept, this idea of rather than just want to self-promote, it's sort of, it's still in a way self-promotion, having others help promote you up while helping them be promoted also. Is there any way that can be sort of worked into, let's say, like an applied theater class, perhaps, or even like a coaching session? Or do you already have like an activity yeah, that's sort of... Yeah, I'm guessing like it's part, like probably already part of it, but mm-hmm. like if you want to elaborate. So um, one example is it's called the ultimate game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> And so the way it works... I remember our class did that when you were like a guest in our class one time. Yeah! <laughs> so the basic premise is you play a game, you pair up, and everybody has one partner, and you play a game of rock, paper, scissors. And, is it, and it is a best of one. Okay. So, one winner, one loser. And so let's say you and I were to play, and I win, and you lose. Yeah. You now become my biggest supporter. Okay. And you start cheering me on, hardly, hardly. And then we find somebody else. And we play against that person. And let's say I lose. Mm-hmm. We all become that person's biggest supporter. And then we go until we have one ultimate champion. And then we can reflect back on, well, how did it feel to lose? Well, it didn't feel that bad. Because all of a sudden you became a champion and a supporter for somebody else. Yeah. And that, if we take that and apply mm-hmm. that to an academic setting, I think there can be a lot of um, value. And I think that's an exercise that really sees those, see that, um, mm-hmm. connects those links. Okay, um, I guess this will be one of our last questions. Sure. What's one thing that residents or students that you teach have the most difficulty with in terms of collaboration and communication? It might be something that you've already touched upon, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, building each other up, but if there's anything different. The one thing that I've noticed particularly with medical residents, not necessarily medical students or undergraduate health science students or practicing clinicians, but medical residents, there's a lot of, there can be a... A lot of hesitancy around being vulnerable, admitting I don't know that that I, I've seen. I think that concludes all the questions we had today. Thank you so much Thank for you. taking Thank the time to like speak to us and have the discussion. I think we learned a lot, and I hope your listeners can also take a lot from this as well. Thank you.